as we come to the end of our journey working our way through the life of Jonathan, we come to this chapter dealing with the close of his life. 1 Samuel 31, the verses 1 to 6, and then 2 Samuel 1, the verses 1 to 12. We'll begin with 1 Samuel, 1, 1 Samuel 31, the verses 1 to 6, which you will be able to find on page 348 of your, of your uh, pew Bible. At this point, David has been seeking shelter with the king of, King Achish of the Philistines. And the Philistines have now drawn up in battle against the Israelites. But by God's gracious intervention, he had the paranoia of King Achish's other generals result in David's being removed from the army that would move against Israel. And so David had returned home at that point in time. Then we come to our passage where you see the lines of battle that are drawn. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took his sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men died together that same day. Now we come to 2 Samuel 1, verses 1 to 12, which can be found on the next page. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David stayed two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said, where have you come from? So he said to him, I've escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, how did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, the people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan his son are dead? Then the young man who told him said, As I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. And he said to me again, please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. 
So I stood over him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, today we reach the end of the reign of King Saul. We read in Acts 13 verse 21 that he has held out for 40 years. And pretty near since the beginning of his reign, he has run against God. It's a sad end. For the last part of his life, he's been fighting with increased desperation, paranoia, anger, and bitterness. He has, by his actions, estranged pretty much everyone around him. He even estranged his firstborn son and heir, Jonathan. And saddest of all, he's been fighting a losing battle against God. Saul, you may remember, has rejected the way of obedience to God. We read in 1 Samuel 23, verse 17, how his own son, Jonathan, confesses to his dear friend David as a result of this, you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. It was clear to everyone that no matter how Saul fought, how bitterly he waged war against God, he would still fail. It didn't matter how successful he seemed to be at the time. As we sang this morning, sometimes the wicked can seem to be very successful for a time. But if it's God that you're fighting against, it is always going to be a losing battle. At Saul's side today, you had Jonathan. What a great contrast in faith there is. You have this man of great faithlessness, Saul, and dying at his side, a man of incredible faithfulness by the grace of God, Jonathan. Jonathan had been a faithful friend to David. His faithfulness to David was further spurred on for two reasons. In the first place, he had seen David's faithfulness to the Lord, David's love for the Lord, which greatly attracted him to this brother in the Lord. It was in hearing David proclaim his complete trust in the Lord after defeating Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 that, in the words of the Bible, knit Jonathan's heart to David. Now, Jonathan's faithfulness to David was further sealed when he learned that the Lord had caused David to be anointed as king. Now he not only supported David as a friend, but he supported him as the Lord's chosen king of Israel. Even at great personal cost, he was faithful. But now he is dead as well. And from a human perspective, his faithfulness seems to have come to nothing. 
From a human perspective, we may have the temptation to think, well, you see Saul who had been fighting all his life. And you see Jonathan who by the grace of God had been faithful all his life. And it doesn't seem to have made a difference. They're both meeting their end on the same day. And yet, the Lord's perspective is different. And we'll see that today under the following theme and points. Jonathan, in his death, the Lord fulfills his promise and crowns for himself a king. We'll see, first of all, the end of life. Second, a promise fulfilled. And third, a new life ahead. As we look to this battle scene where the forces of Israel are waging war against the forces of Philistia. The battle is raging fiercely. And you can further see Jonathan's faithfulness contrasted with Saul when you consider the fact that Jonathan is still here at his father Saul's side right to the end. Even though his father had shown his wickedness and his bitterness as he threw a spear at his son in a fit of rage, not even caring about the fact that family ties bound them, Jonathan still stayed with his father. He called out his father's sin during these days. He undermined his father's wicked decision to kill David, yes. But this was actually a further reflection of his faithfulness. He didn't just want his father to succeed and leave it at that. But he wanted this wickedness that was in his father's life not to overwhelm him. And he himself wanted to live in a way that was pleasing to the Lord. Jonathan had every right to walk away from his father after his father had showed such faithlessness. And yet he chose to say, right to the end. But both still died. Here in this particular case, Saul didn't have his life especially shortened because of his sin. And Jonathan didn't seem to have his life lengthened because of his faithfulness. They both died. How's that fair? You might ask. Wouldn't it make much more sense to have Jonathan escape last minute? Wouldn't that have been much better at the end of the day? But here God brings us face to face with the end of all men. In Hebrews 9 verse 27 we read, It is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. The Bible shows us the reality of life. This isn't a fairy tale ending where we have Jonathan's saga coming to an end when he's at his peak, when he's at the most glorious moment, and then we hear nothing else about it. This isn't the fairy tale ending where it is happily ever after, where the characters remain eternally young. No, here God brings us face to face with the reality of life. And he gives us the opportunity to reflect on the lives of these two men who died at the same time under the same circumstances. 
At the same time, he gives us the opportunity to reflect on our own mortality and the life to come. He gives us Jonathan, who by God's grace remained faithful, and Saul, who fell. Jonathan makes it clear from the beginning that his faithfulness is not based on his own personal goodness. Jonathan was able to remain faithful because he looked to and he leaned on the faithfulness of his God and it was his God who worked this continued faithfulness within him. This was what spurred him to climb up a cliff with enemies looking on and shouting insults and to defeat them. This was what gave him the encouragement to go up against his father as he himself sought to encourage David. Without God, he wouldn't have been able to do any of this. And he himself recognizes this. In his darkest hours, people in their own darkest hours, people can't go on without God. This is why In part, he does come to David as David has fled, as David is living in exile. Because the Lord is his strength. And David needs to be reminded once again of that fact. By the grace of God, the Lord chose to lay claim to Jonathan, this covenant child, and use him as an instrument in carrying out his will. And after all of this, it was the Lord who took him home. I want you to reflect on this for a moment, beloved brothers and sisters, as you're looking at the life of Jonathan. Rather than seeing two men here who seem to have had radically different lives and it doesn't seem to have made a difference at the end of the day for them, to see what God was working through Jonathan. God worked in him powerfully. God used him as an instrument in his kingdom. And once his task was finished on this earth, God took him home. Is this not an incredible thought, beloved? To by God's grace live in such a way, in the ways of God, that your life is poured out in service to him. And on your life coming to an end, coming to a close, the Lord then takes you home. That for you it didn't matter that your earthly part of your life was cut short. Because all that meant was that your heavenly Father said, you are done with your task here. And I am taking you home. What better way would there be to live life? What better way to have it brought to a close. 
God worked powerfully through Jonathan, and though Jonathan's earthly father failed him, his heavenly father was ready and waiting to embrace him and to take him home. Not so for Saul. Saul, who was so quick to say that he was sorry, 1 Samuel 15, verse 24, so quick to try an easy fix with Samuel so that it would look good to the people and smooth things over. And yet Saul, who's in his heart, never truly repented. For Saul, on the other hand, the end of those who rebel against God lay in store for him. He spent his whole life fighting against what God had decreed would happen, and yet God still brought it to pass. And he would not receive the welcome home that his son did. His rebellion against God for all these years had finally reached its end. And in his death, God had finally fulfilled what he had promised to Saul so long ago. This brings us to our second point, promise fulfilled. In this one act today with the death of both Saul and his son Jonathan, the Lord fulfilled two promises in one move. First of all, he fulfilled the prophecy which Samuel had spoken in 1 Samuel 13 so many years before. There Samuel had said, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be a commander over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. But more than that, just before this battle, the Lord had made known to Saul his end in 1 Samuel 28 verse 18 and following. We read there, because you did not obey the, word, the voice of the Lord and you did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you today. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you in the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. For those who continue to rebel against the Lord, this is a promise that will be fulfilled. You may resist for a time, and you may make excuses. You may even pretend repentance, as Saul did in 1 Samuel 15. But if you do not truly repent and instead set your will against God, this is the end that you will face. We read that promise there from the Lord. Tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. Again in Hebrews 9 verse 27, it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Every knee will bow on that final day. Some in reverence and joy, and others in trembling and fear. But every knee will bow. This is the promise that the Lord had given to Saul. Beloved, 
hear the word of the Lord. And if you have not turned in repentance from your sin, do so. Turn in repentance and faith if you have not done so already. Not just taking words on your lips in order to smooth the way for yourself, if that's what you find in your heart. But truly turning from sin. Not just claiming, but putting to death the sin that is in your heart. Because the Lord is true to his promise. It is appointed for men to die once and after this to face the judgment. This is what Saul faced even after years of resisting and struggling against God. This is confirmed through God's fulfillment of this prophecy of judgment. If Saul would continue to remain faithless. At the same time, we see a second prophecy being fulfilled in these battle deaths that we read about. And this time, we see another promise of God coming through. With the death of the king and with the death of Jonathan, his heir, the line of kingship in the eyes of the people is clearly broken. There is a grandchild of Saul that is set up as king later by power-hungry vassals, yes, but he is no more than a puppet able to be lied to and insulted by his generals. We can see that in 2 Samuel 3, verse 8. The line of Saul never again has strength, the strength in the eyes of the people that it once did, and the power of the house of Saul is effectively broken. In this, God fulfills his promise to his king the king whom he has chosen. God who has anointed David and then promised to be with him in the days of his exile has now finally finished what he has promised. He has brought it to pass. Jonathan had now taught David everything that God had wanted him to be taught by Jonathan about life under the rule of God. Jonathan had directed his eyes time and time again to his covenant Lord. And eventually David had grown to a place in which he had the spiritual maturity to be able to strengthen himself in the Lord as well. 1 Samuel 30 verse 6. The Lord has prepared David to take the throne. And now the Lord grants it to him. Here we see again that Jonathan's life wasn't a waste. The Lord had left a lasting change in this world through him. One which would impact the character of a man who would go on to be one of the most prominent forefathers of the Messiah himself. With that, God having raised David to be the man that God wanted him to be for the kingship, God now opened the way for him to be God's anointed king. God fulfilled his promise. Still, you might think, was this really necessary? Was it fair that one man dies for a promise to be fulfilled to another? But consider this. This is exactly what happened to us. God had cleared the way for his anointed king to come through. When Jesus Christ came into the world, he came 
to redeem for himself a people. And more than that, in Revelation 1 verses 5 to 6, we are told how Christ's death led to us not just being made right with God again, but led to us being crowned as kings and priests to God. Beloved, both David in the past and you and I today are the recipients of a promise that will be fulfilled. We are each the recipient of those who were gladly willing to lay down their lives for us that God's promise might be fulfilled. And in death, our Lord Jesus Christ was able to ransom for himself a people by his blood. Just as Jonathan was able to leave this world of sorrow and go to his heavenly father who had always been faithful to him. And in this way, open the way for the king. In death, Christ was able to ransom for himself a people by his blood. This brings us to our third point, new life ahead. David received a new life that lay ahead of him by the death of Jonathan. But it wasn't something that was easy for him to receive. The news of Jonathan and Saul's deaths and the loss of the battle was received with great sorrow. All of Israel wept. But it's interesting to know David's response in particular. One commentator points out the only really deep mourning for Saul, with the exception of that of the Jabeshites in 1 Samuel 31, proceeded from the man whom Saul had hated and persecuted for so many years, even to the time of his death. Just as Christ, David's successor, wept over the fall of Jerusalem, even as it was about to destroy himself. To David, it didn't really matter that Saul had tried to destroy him. He saw Saul's death for what it was. It represented a failure of the office of the anointed king. The people had wanted a king like all of the nations around them to save them. They had wanted someone who would grant them regular stability instead of this constant cycle of violence and sin that the era of the judges had given them. But Saul's rebellion against God and his death had represented a failure of this office. And yet this wasn't the end for the people of God. Rather, it's a new beginning. For the people of God, they now had a king who recognized and submitted himself to the authority and kingship of God. Our God, who is our ultimate king. In him, they were able to have a fresh start under a new monarchy. But more than that, the failure of their very first king made the people realize that even a human king, like the nations that were around them, couldn't ultimately save them. It prepared them for the opening of a new page in God's redemptive history, in which he would begin to tell them of a king who was coming, who would be the perfect king. A king after God's own heart. A royal son in whom he would be well pleased. Through this new era, the passing away of the lines of Saul and Jonathan, his heir, 
God opened the way for a redeemer from a kingly line to be brought into this world. A redeemer who would save his people from the devil, from sin, and from death. Who would by his blood wash them clean and restore them to a perfect relationship with God. And grant them eternal life in a new kingdom. A heavenly kingdom. Now in this king, in him we have no fear of death. In him, every promise of God is yes and amen. And in him, we can have the joy of a new life under his rule. And we can look forward to resurrection and to a life with him in eternity. Amen.